0: Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Welcome back to uh, this section of Ephesians 4 and 5, where Paul is getting just very, very practical (laughs) as far as don't do these things. uh, Instead, do these things. Uh, Put off the old and put on the new. We're kind of continuing our theme from last week and uh, doing kind of a part two of this as we get in uh, further into Ephesians chapter five. And uh, Paul will have several things here that are just really practical, helpful to think about um, that we need to put off and then
1: not just say no, Uh, like we talked about last week, but say yes to things that are better. Yeah, Absolutely. And our hope is with this podcast that it will encourage you to get into some of the other epistles of Paul um, because this is a a similar thread throughout his epistles where he'll encourage us to put off something, but instead to put on. And so, like Stephen said last week, we covered the concept, but we also discussed instead of speaking lies and and, uh, lying to one another, we need to be people who put on truth and speak truth to one another. Instead of being angry uh, and, and sinning, what we need to do is find a way to build up and encourage somebody. And along those lines, instead of stealing, we need to work. Instead of talking bad about someone, find a way to encourage them. And Instead of being bitter, we need to find ways to forgive and to love other people. And so we rolled into chapter 5 last week, but uh, we're just going to continue in it today. And um, we'll just go ahead and we'll read verses 3 down to verse uh, 5, and then we'll talk about those, and then we'll we'll bite off a bigger chunk after that. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, Ephesians 5, verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God.
0: So as he's uh, continuing to talk about these different qualities that we put off, um, he starts here with two or three that kind of go together. Um, he says sexual immorality and all impurity, and then he adds covetousness to that. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, if there's a, a sin that our world is kind of saturated with right now, it, it's certainly sexual immorality and we're going to keep it, um, you know, we're not going to go into graphic detail on this podcast uh, into some of those things, but you don't have to look very far to see graphic detail in the world that we live in. Um, sex sells stuff. I mean, even stuff that is uh, not sexually related uh, will have sexual ads. And I mean, you just drive down the street, you see the billboards, you anything on the internet. I mean, there's all sorts of terrible stuff you can get into on the internet these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What Paul's saying, this should be put away from the Christian. And I appreciate that he points out it's not just like the quote-unquote big stuff. Sexual immorality here, I think, does refer to kind of like the physical act of being sexually immoral mm-hmm. with someone who doesn't belong to you. It's not your spouse. Um, but then he adds to that, and all impurity... And there are things short of the sexual act that one can do that are still impure. They're not right. Um, And we're going to see a little bit later in this chapter that the sexual relationship is one that is beautiful and good and right in the context of marriage. And husbands and wives are encouraged to that. Um, And that's even parallel to Christ in the church uh, later in this chapter. Again, we'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. Sex is not dirty or bad in and of itself, but it is something that God created good and Satan has perverted it and twisted it in all sorts of ways uh, to where we see it today. Where it's just an empty shell of what it's supposed to be because it's just been drugged through the mud in so many different ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think one of the ways we're seeing it in our country, but not in the country, but in the world right now, is, is pornography. Um, it's all over the place. I mean, children are getting introduced to it at, a, at an alarming young age, mm-hmm. and we we need to have our we need to have our fists up. We need to be ready to fight against this stuff because Satan's coming at it or coming at us with it at every single angle and with every opportunity that he gets. Um, And this word immorality, some of the older translations just use the word fornication. And I I think that's appropriate. That's what it is. It's sex outside of marriage, like Stephen said. And that is not something a Christian should be involved in whatsoever. Uh, This is also something that Jesus condemned whenever we were going through the gospel of Mark. And uh, as far as the impurity and the covetousness, or my translation says greed there, but I prefer covetousness there. This really takes us back to season three. I mean, Paul's saying this really because this is what the Lord Jesus himself said in matthew 5:27, jesus said you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart and if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out throw it from you for it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell jesus established this principle that it's not good enough to say well i didn't sleep with them no Take it a step further than that. Don't even covet them. Don't even look at them with lust in your heart. All of that should not be named among Christians. Yeah. And people see the standard of Jesus
0: and sometimes think, that man, that's extreme. Like, How, how, you, how are you supposed to live like that? And the fact of the matter is it's way easier, in a sense, to draw the line where Jesus draws the line. Here's what I mean. is If we try to kind of go part way with sin... I say, well, like I'll kind of dabble in it. I mean, it's not as bad as it could be. You know, we make all these excuses and rationalize. No, like, it's way harder to stop once you're partway down the road of sin and it's already just enticing you rather than say, no, I'm not even going to entertain that thought in my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about something else. I'm going to think about something pure and holy. And I, I like Philippians 4, verse 8 for this. You know, whatever's pure and true and lovely and all that, uh, you know, dwell on these things. Fill your mind with things that are good. It's not just saying no to something; it's saying yes to something better. If you're married, think about your spouse. Uh, you know, put your energy there instead of. Uh, I mean, Proverbs talks about that idea of like, you know, don't go to the forbidden woman; go to go to the wife of your youth. Proverbs five is a great chapter on this. But th- this point that really it starts in the heart mm-hmm. uh, with each of these things, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about previously. And here in Ephesians, the Lord wants our heart. He doesn't just want our outward behavior. Well, I technically didn't do that with this person. Okay, good. But what are you doing in your heart? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really what uh, Jesus is taking aim at, and Paul is taking aim at here as well. I do think that covetousness here, or greed... Um, is a broader principle than just sexual. Sure. Um, it certainly applies, like you said, you know, the lust uh, that Jesus mentions in Matthew five. But this would include coveting other things. I mean, the tenth commandment, right? Was you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, but also like his donkey or like all the other things that uh, belong to your neighbor. If it doesn't belong to you, don't sit there and mull over how miserable you are that you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, covetousness can be for money it can be for power it can be for uh attention there's so many things that we can covet that we don't have and so covetousness or greed
1: is certainly true it's the root of sexual problems but it's the root of all sorts of other problems and it's paul's not taking this lightly what how does he say it in verse three these things must not even be named among you as Mm -hmm. is proper among saints there's no dabbling in this that's okay Pretty clear language, isn't it? Stop. Yeah. This can't happen in the local church. I think there's
0: one translation. It might be the NIV. That's like a, not even a hint is the idea.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. And so it's like don't uh, don't mess around with this stuff. And Paul connects uh, the covetousness to idolatry in verse five. You may be sure of this that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure, there's those two, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inherent and no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those are sobering words, because again, Paul's writing to Gentiles who have, many of whom have come out of idolatry, like literal, physical idolatry, like they've been going to idol temples and worshiping, you know, Zeus or Apollo or whoever. And now he's saying, listen, but if you in your heart are setting up this thing you want and are coveting after, lusting after, if that's the thing that's on the throne of your heart, guess what? It's still idolatry. You might not be going into the idol temple, but in the temple of your heart, in the temple of your body, you are still setting up something that's not God as the object yeah. of your worship and affection.
1: Man, and doesn't that bring like all the Old Testament imagery of when Israel was turning their hearts toward idols? Doesn't that bring it to light? Because I think it's really easy even in, in the Old Testament to look at all those times they were literally physically bowing down to an idol and be like, huh, that doesn't really relate to us. You know, we have, I don't do that. And then you, you pick up your phone or, you know, you, you do something. And it's like, no, you are guilty of that. Um, and, and maybe just a different way. Uh, as Stephen said, an idol is just anything that takes the place of God in your heart. And so for these people here, it wasn't just a physical thing that they might be going to, a temple of some kind, but it is a physical relationship that they're going to that has set up as an idol in their heart. And again, Paul uses clear language. The, the people who do these things, they do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. If if your heart is in the idol, is is with something else, then what makes you think you can go to the kingdom of God and then be there? You cannot do both of these things.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in verse 4, there's another put off in the middle of this where he says, it's more like a verbal thing, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking.
1: Yeah, let's break those down. Which
0: are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. Um, Again, I think Most of these are kind of verbal in nature, like how we use our words. Um, But I think it's particularly interesting that he uses crude joking here. Mm -hmm.
1: Coarse jesting is my translation there. Yeah.
0: Uh, Dirty jokes have been around for a long time. Yeah, they have. And humor is a blessing... Um, when we joke around with people and make each other laugh, I mean, there's lots of clean and, and funny things. God created a funny world.
1: Yeah, and there there is humor. I believe in the scriptures that we even see. Yeah, um, I think even Jesus himself had humor about him and some of the parables he would tell. Yeah. I think about the the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven, as Jesus talks about this guy with a log in his eye, right. trying to point out the speck in someone else's eye. I mean, that yeah. there was humor behind that. But again, the, the point is that was wholesome humor. That that was humor that was making a point. It was not this coarse jesting that Paul is talking about. That's right. And I mean, and this ties in with the impurity,
0: you know, back in the previous verse, there's a lot of sexual humor that yeah. uh, becomes really
1: filthy. Yeah, I really think quickly. there's a reason why these are together for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But he also talks about filthiness or foolish talk. And again, it's just so easy for the way that we talk with people to become centered around things that are foolish or filthy. And he says like, just get away from all that. Uh, don't use your mouth for things that are empty and, and foolish. Um, instead, and I like to put on here, not every one of these has a corresponding put on right there in the context, but this one does. He says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is a powerful antidote for all these other types of sin. And especially when we're, when we're struggling with greed or covetousness, it's, we're wanting something that is not ours. Whereas when we're busy giving thanks for what God has given us, that is a powerful way to turn that around and to be content because we're focused on what we do have, on what God has done, and we're giving thanks to him, and that really makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, and I think even we need to think about our surroundings. Who, who are we hanging around? Are they people who who also involve, are involved in these kinds of things? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I'm going here, this came across my reading a couple days ago, Proverbs 14.7 Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. If you hang around with foolish people enough, you start to become a fool yourself. Mm -hmm. So even if you come to this passage and you say, I've done really good. I've not been involved in coarse jesting. I've not been involved with this filthiness or foolish talk. Great. But who are you surrounding yourself with? Who's the majority of your friends that you're around Um, Because odds are, even if you're not actively participating in those things, those things could be rubbing off on you in some way. Yes. And this really ties in well with the next section here.
0: Um, We're picking up in chapter 5, verse 6, and watch for the partnership that he talks about here with other people. Um, We're going to read chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the
1: dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, so verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So this is really kind of the the kickoff point for for this section, this idea that there are sons of disobedience, and then there are sons of the light, sons of obedience, children of light.
0: Mm-hmm. And light is really the theme that ties these verses 6 through 14 together. And it's a really cool theme in lots of places in Scripture, particularly in the writings of John, um, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But to think about the image that he uses here is like light and dark can't work together. <laughs> you don't have dark light or light dark. like. They are totally opposed to each other. Light drives out the darkness. And he's using this to say how separate we ought to be from these works of darkness um, and children of disobedience. In verse 7, he says, don't become partners with them. And that's really what happens when the, the crude joking starts up and then we participate in it or we're laughing with, we become partners with them in something that's evil. It's true with sexual sin, it's true with covetousness. Um, all these different sins we've talked about, it's one of the big pulls to many of them is the social component. That, well, everybody else is doing it, everybody else is saying it, and that's the reason why we get enticed, is because we want to be accepted. We want to become partners and not be the weird. You know, it's hard to be the light when everything around is dark because those who do stuff in the dark hate the light. They, they want to send the light away, and we don't want to
1: be that guy. You know, I just realized, just did a quick search on this, that this word that is specifically being used here, this word for partaker in verse 7, it's only used one other time, and it's in chapter 3 in verse 6 when Paul says that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in mm. Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. Don't be partakers with those in the darkness, but be partakers with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the light. Yeah. So there's kind of another put off and put on. That's uh, true. Just in Ephesians. Kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Great point. As uh, We have a, a partnership already that's far better yeah. than the partnership we that the world offers. Um. So he says, walk as children of light. Again, walk has been such a theme through all of this.
1: Um, I also think it's interesting that he ties in the light and dark to being fruitful or unfruitful. Yeah, so you've got the fruit of light in verse 9 that my translation says, consist in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I kind of love those all encompassing phrases, don't you? <laughs> you know, the, those who are the fruit of the light, they're going to focus on what's good, what's right, what's true. And even beyond that, they're going to try and learn what's pleasing to to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he
0: contrasts that in verse eleven and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And one of the things he's trying to get us to think about is one one of the ways of thinking about fruit is that it's the result of something. You plant the seed, you okay. water, and what you get, the result of that, is fruit. Yeah. And there's different kinds of fruit that different actions bring forth. And we might call it consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the things that are light, guess what? The fruit that, that bears is good and right and true. Th- that That's what you get when you plant that seed. But these works of darkness, it is unfruitful. Um, you don't get stuff that's good and right and true out of that. And again, he's getting us to think down the road. This is so much the point of the book of Proverbs. Is like, don't just think about how it feels or what it looks like right now. What is the fruit that it's going to bear? And he says, you can look at these works of darkness and it looks good up front. It's enticing, but down the road, it's unfruitful. You don't want the result and the consequence of going down that road. And he points out in verse 11, we shouldn't just not take part in these works of darkness, but instead we need to expose them. That's what light does it exposes what's in the darkness and here i'll be honest this is like a, a, another difficult level of being a follower of jesus and being the light of the world is it's not just enough for me to say no but i have to on some level be an example to others and yes. at some point tell others yes. hey that's not okay before
1: right. god yes and i let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think sometimes we we use that as a cop-out. Well, if I'm just a good Christian and I just live my life, then people will ask me, why are you that way? And guess what? It might happen that way, and that's fantastic. But like Stephen said, this is a whole other level where you not only live it, but you speak it. You say it, and you call it out when you see it. And so that that can take place in a number of places, uh, workplace, neighbors, I don't know, whatever. But we got to speak up. And we got to point out injustice. We have to point out um, the things that are sinful and the things that are wrong, even to someone who might not even be a Christian. Right. And, and again, by living, a lot
0: of it will speak for itself. I mean, I remember and there's been plenty of times I've been in situations where everyone is talking a certain way or acting a certain way, and they notice, like, well, Stephen's not doing that. Why is he not doing that? You know? And it provides opportunity. But there are other times where we have to be willing to speak up and say, this is why I'm not doing it. Um this is this is not pleasing to God. here's it's not just me, you know, here's what the judge said. Here's right. what uh, uh, what the Lord said. And again, we should expect opposition. We should expect people to speak ill of us and uh, we should expect um, you know verbal attacks at times. Um, people slandering Christians, slandering us when we try to do what's right. And, and I think it's interesting in verse twelve, where he says, it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. Um, there are things that the world does that, I mean, kind of like on what we're doing right now on this podcast. We're not going into detail on that stuff because it's shameful to even speak about some of that stuff. I mean, there's a time and a place when you're trying to help somebody to get specific. But, man, um, it's really unthinkable the depths to which Satan will take us if we let him. Uh, it may start off small. It may start off what seems innocent. Um, but the path of darkness leads farther and farther down until you can't even talk about it what uh
1: where that road leads and here's what i love his contrast so there there are these evil things that people are doing in in secret that are even disgraceful to speak about but in verse 13 but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light Mm -hmm. they may be doing those things in secret in the dark but the light will be the thing that exposes them. Right. And I mean, this is true in, in our interactions with folks in the world. Is maybe we are even studying the gospel with them and they have sin in their life, things that are so dark that it's even hard to address. But guess what? As you're shining the light of Christ on them, those evil things, those things they're doing in secret will be exposed um, and we need to put our trust in that. Yeah,
0: and I love the the conclusion of this section where he's It seems like he's maybe kind of quoting from Isaiah 60, verse 1. It's not an exact quote. It's kind of a mixture of different quotes from Isaiah. But this may have also been an early Christian hymn. Uh, We're not sure about that, but most Bibles will put this in like poetry format. Um, But this is really cool. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. No matter how deep we've been in the darkness, when Christ shines his light in our life, and exposes the works of our darkness, he doesn't just expose them to make fun of us or to tell us, okay, look how bad you are. But I can forgive that. Yeah. I can I can raise you from the dead. I can resurrect you. Well, look how you. dead you right. are. And then wake up. If you will wake up and repent, then... Christ will shine on you. There'll be a new dawn in your life, uh-huh. and uh, you can become light to other people who are in darkness.
1: This is almost a circular section. You can almost start rereading at this point, right? Okay, so Christ shines on you, and you have a new life, so put off the old self and put on the new self, and here's what that looks like. That's it's right. kind of cool how this can come full circle. But uh, yeah, I think the idea here in verse 14 is resurrection. Uh, Christ can raise us to walk in newness of life with him um, through the power of his own resurrection. So it's a, it's a beautiful kind of way to to end that section on um putting off the old and putting on the new. So this kind of transitions us into verses 15 through 21. Um let's go ahead and read that uh starting in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish,
0: Verses 15 through 17, he really is zeroing in here on a broader principle of saying, put off being unwise, put off foolishness. Um, You know better. And he he says it, I like this in verse 15, I think it's the New King James, it says, walk circumspectly, it's one of those words I mean, I never use that. But the idea of circumspect, you can think about, okay, like circa, like around, and then spect, like looking, like being alert. You know, look around you as you're walking. Um, We're walking in a battlefield. And if you're just like, you know, looking at your phone or like just totally zoned out, you're going to get hit. And it's like, look carefully how you walk. Look around you. Make sure you're aware, you're awake, you are uh, ready. Um, and, And don't be foolish. Um, only a fool would walk into a battlefield, you know, not looking over his shoulder and making sure he knows what's going on. So I like the idea of walking circumspectly or walking carefully.
1: Yeah, and I love how he goes on in verse sixteen, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Um, kind of brings up back the, the fact that hey, uh, I realize it's rough out there. It's evil. Um, the days are evil, but. That doesn't get to change your mission. Um, that doesn't get to change the fact that you have a limited amount of time on this earth. So make the most of that time and walk as wise men, not mm-hmm. as unwise. And I think that use of time, like I used to think
0: of this verse as like, okay, like make sure you have a really good schedule and like just plan everything out. And th- that's true. We should make good use of our literal like hours in a day. But I think more the idea of time here is the idea of an opportunity, Um, In Colossians uh, 4 and verse Mm 5, he'll talk about more of that idea of making the the most of every opportunity. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. And that's really, I think, the idea here is, yes, the days are evil. You're in a war zone. Um, Things are hard. But you're going to have opportunities to speak up for the Lord. You're going to have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ for someone. And so make the most of each opportunity. I make the best use of the opportunity. And the way to do that is to be ready, to be alert. When you are walking circumspectly, watching where you're going, when those opportunities come up, you're going to be like, yes, I've been waiting for this. I'm ready, and now I'll make the best use of that moment, uh, uh, that opportunity, that open door. Uh, I think that's really the, the thrust of verse 16.
1: And leading into, as you contrast the wise and unwise stuff in verse 17, then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I'll be honest, that's a, a little bit daunting. Uh, the, the will of the Lord is a, um, it's a high calling, but there's a lot written about what the will of God is. And I will say, sometime, uh, if you like doing word searches in the scriptures, just search will of the Lord um, and read all the different statements in the New Testament and old that say this is what the will of the Lord is. There's a couple of them in the New Testament that are pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, we, we need to be focused on what the Lord wants in our life. Um, he is our whole life. He, he's the reason we're here. And so we're going to focus on His will, not our own.
0: Yes, and that is the source of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord, His will, you know, is at the beginning of wisdom. That's right. So he goes from here, and this is, I think, one of those other really interesting put-off and put-on statements in 18 and 19. Um, in 18, the put-off is a do not get drunk with wine uh, for that is debauchery, or like excess is kind of the idea there. Yeah. But be filled with spirit. And then he goes on addressing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is a really interesting put off, put on. I mean, it's almost like he's saying you can be filled with one of two things <laughs> you can fill yourself with alcohol, and that leads to excess and all kinds of bad things, or you can fill yourself with God's spirit. And one of the ways to do that is with music, spiritual music. And it's really cool thinking about the contrast here. So, obviously, the first one put off drunkenness. Uh, Drunkenness is a sin in the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's all sorts of warnings against alcohol and its effects in, like, the book of Proverbs. Um, There's stories in the Old Testament, like, you know, Lot and his daughters, and all sorts of places where um, you can see. It's a really bad idea to get drunk.
1: I mean, it's not only
0: bad in and of itself, but it
1: leads to all sorts of other things. And it comes back to sober-mindedness. Um, I think in a lot of ways drunkenness does. Uh, there, there's an admonition throughout the New Testament to be sober-minded. And if we're participating in something that takes our our wit away or our wits away from us, if that's maybe the good way to put it, um, we, we, we will no longer be in a position to make a wise decision when temptation hits. Mm-hmm. And so why would we compromise our conscience or our ability to make decisions when we know that we are waging war against the devil, that he is um, he is trying to get us at every turn? So why would we lower our guard by drinking or doing something that would intentionally um, make us not as sober-minded? Right. Uh, and so we, we need to walk away from that and and not really be... Drunk or filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, drunk drunk yeah. soldier is not uh, any no.
0: not much use at all. Yeah, right. And I mean, uh, that's something you get discharged life. for, uh, yeah.
1: dishonorably discharged for after a while. And so you, you can't do that. You've know, you got to be sober-minded, be looking out, walk, walking circumspectly um, is the idea.
0: Yeah. But then in contrast to that, don't, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is a powerful concept. We've talked about how God's spirit dwells in us mm-hmm. um, individually and collectively. We're right. a temple of his. And it's kind of interesting to think about that contrast. Is that like when you are filled with alcohol, it is going to change your behavior in some negative ways. Mm-hmm. When you are filled with God's spirit and you are actively reading scripture and taking in the words of the spirit that's going to affect your behavior in a whole different way. Um, And it's going to be a positive fruit, positive outcome from that. And he says one of the ways that you are filled with the Spirit, it goes right into verse 19, and this is another put on, um, singing, uh, addressing one another in Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody
1: to the Lord with your heart. Yeah, so we'll break that down for just a second. So you've got the Psalms. I know what those are. Uh, You've got, uh, what, 150 of them in the Old Testament. And so what's really cool is when you study those is that uh, they're written in song-like form, aren't they? Uh, There's different phrases that are even given throughout some of the Psalms that make it clear that maybe there was different people um, who were to chime in at that point or use their instruments or whatever have you. And so Psalms, got it. Hymns, what does that word mean? It's it, This is an ancient Greek word for like a song of
0: praise to the gods. Okay. Um, there were hymns to like Zeus or Apollo or like these different guys about the, they're recalling their great acts. And um, it's actually kind of interesting when Paul uh, quotes, for we also are his children in mm-hmm. Acts 17, it's actually kind of from it's not exactly a hymn but it's a it's a song of praise to zeus right he's reapplying and kind of taking it and turning it to the
1: true god to this unknown god that they've been worshiping right
0: right, right. and so there were the the greeks were familiar with hymns uh, they were familiar with hymns to their gods but he's saying there's hymns to
1: the true god yeah and then spiritual songs is that just kind of an, another all-encompassing paul thing where he's like and just the songs that are spiritual in nature yeah to the Lord, and another way of saying this is songs of the Spirit. Oh, it's kind cool. of interesting. Yeah,
0: spiritual songs of yeah. God's wow. Spirit.
1: That's so simple, but I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah,
0: and it's and it's a broad category of just uh, yeah. these songs that are not just you know drinking songs or not just uh, you know happy birthday or whatever, but like these are songs that carry spiritual truths in them. Um, I think it's cool that some of the most powerful prophecies about Jesus. God put in their songbook and the book of Psalms yeah. in the Old Testament. He, we remember music so readily. And it's it, it's a way for us to be filled with the spirit through mm-hmm. our days, having spiritual music running through our mind.
1: And I love that there's kind of two working ends to this verse. At the beginning, verse 19, you speak to one another with these things. So normally we only think of him singing, I'm doing that to God. But here and in other places, it's pretty clear that singing is a way to encourage one another and to build one another up. And so yes. that's why Paul says you speak to one another with these things. And I think that brings a whole other level of singing to the table for me when I go into church on Sunday, right? Like mm-hmm. as I'm singing, I'm looking at my brother and I'm like I'm like shouting it at him, you know, like, you, you do this. And then he's looking at me and he's shouting it back at me and you do it too. And that, that's such a cool idea that we're speaking to one another, with these words of encouragement. yeah. But then the other working end of this is you sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. Uh, These are ultimately to God that we're singing these things.
0: Yes, exactly. So those two audiences are not mutually exclusive. I mean, it's an encouraging thing. We can praise God and sing to him anytime. I think that singing hymns is a great personal devotion along with Bible reading and prayer. Um, having private worship. I mean, you read about that in the Psalms. You know, he talks about, you know, on my bed in the middle of the night, I'm praising you That's and, right. And honoring God. We need to make hymns a habit. Uh, we need to make praise a regular part of our life. We need to praise God. But we should also use that to encourage other people Uh, there's certain kinds of worship that we can only do together and singing is one of those that's enriched when we blend our voices and are coming together in song Uh, some of my favorite uh, moments in worship are those moments where we're lifting our voices together and honoring God Um, it's a beautiful thing uh, to hear different voices blend together and it's not about our musical ability but it's about different hearts being poured out together to God. And again, the Psalms talk about that. Like when we come together to worship, there's a special way in which we are honoring God and building each other
1: up at the same time. Then he goes into verse 20 about giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. And uh, giving thanks is something Paul had encouraged back in verse 4, rather give thanks. And thanksgiving is um, an equal or maybe not equal, but it is an important aspect of prayer just as much as praising God or asking or petitioning God for something. I mean, this is something that Jesus will address in Luke 17 when he heals those 10 lepers, and only one of them comes back and says, thank you. Um, Thanksgiving shows our gratitude to the Father, and it's really a verbal way to acknowledge, I'm at your mercy. You, You did not have to do that, and I'm recognizing, thank you, Father. You, you did not have to do that at all. And that's really what we do whenever we thank someone else. We're, we're going to them recognizing what you did for me. You did not have to do, but you did. And I'm verbally going to acknowledge it. Yes. And Thanksgiving is the same thing with the Father.
0: Again, gratitude is one of the greatest things we can put on. Right. Uh, gratitude drives out a whole lot of other discontent and evil things in our hearts. And um, this is powerful in our songs. So many of our songs are giving thanks to to God and it kind of wraps up here in verse 21 saying that we also need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and this is really interesting submission is a, a not a popular th- word in our world no um, maybe particularly as americans uh, we kind of founded on the idea of not submitting but right um Here he says, we do need to submit, and this is a mutual submission, which is interesting. Usually there's kind of a, this group submits to that group or whatever, whether it's like government or um, things in marriage or whatever. We'll talk more about submission in the next
1: three sections. Wives and husbands, childrens and
0: parents. Yeah, it's a launch off point here too. Um, So this will bleed right into next week's study. But submitting to each other is something that, Is so important as we think about working together in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, this goes back to chapter four, those qualities we're supposed to have. Um, Mutual submission, that I'm putting your desires and your needs ahead of my own. And I'm not doing that because, you know, like you're so great or so perfect. I'm doing that out of reverence for Christ. Mm -hmm. I respect and honor Christ who submitted in a sense to me, not because I boss him around. But he put his, his needs below mine. Right. He put what I needed first. And that's, a, in a sense, a type of submission. And now I need to submit and help and serve my brethren. Uh, so this is not just about me. Yeah. I got to get out of my selfish thinking and put on submissive,
1: servant-like thinking. And that's the core of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel, of Mark, or in all the Gospels is, you know, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he'll have that, that powwow with his disciples multiple times that I need you all to be servants to each other. Um, I need you to submit to one another. And that is where you will find true leadership. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, so Stephen said it well that th- this will bleed into the rest of chapter 5 and a good bit of chapter 6 as well. And so, Lord willing, we'll get to talk about other relationships we need to be in submission to next week. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, leave a rating or a
0: review. Um, if you'd like to study more with us, we'd love to hear from you. 717-585-0949. Or email us at capitalcitychristians@gmail.com at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.